so much for joining me and Craig this Sunday afternoon. Um, so we're the Layers of Design podcast. Before we begin, just a couple of things. This episode is being um, recorded. And if, if you want to stay updated, please go to the Layers of Design online. And if you have any questions, just you can start, you can ask them at the end of the um, episode. Once you sketch, you can tag us at Layers of Design underscore on Instagram and use the hashtag hashtag Layers of Sketches. And don't please connect with us on Instagram, Pinterest, or Twitter. And you can check out all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and um, honestly anywhere at all that you listen to podcasts. So welcome to the Sketch It Out episodes. This is a new series hosted by Layers of Design, and this is our third episode, which is really exciting. And today, as you all know, we are so pleased to have with us Craig Ackard. So just a couple things about Craig. He is one of the managing principals of MC Harry and Associates in Miami, Florida. He is the president of the South Florida National Organization of Minority Architects, which is SoFlo Noma. So if you want to be a part of it, please check us out. And he began the Black Architects in the Making program in 2016. Above all, I have known um, Craig for a couple years now, and I just have to say he's a phenomenal mentor and leader. And honestly, I'm really, really honored to have him on this call with us. So welcome, Craig, and thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you, Ibe, for, Ibe, for having me. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to share. I'm excited about this because uh, Sketching is one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> Hello? Yes, I'm here. I can hear you just fine. Okay, so you, sorry, you got caught up. You were saying you're really excited about this. Oh yes, I'm really excited about uh, this particular podcast because sketching is one of my favorite things to do. And, uh, you know, sketching and talking is something that is natural for us architects to do. So I think it's, it's an exciting thing and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so right before we get into our conversation, I just wanted to ask you, what got you into architecture and design? Uh, interestingly enough, um, I did not know too much about architecture until I was out of high school, actually. I was working with an engineering firm in Jamaica, and uh, I was in the drawing room uh, at that time. I actually worked with a geotechnical engineer at the time, and I was helping him preparing reports. And while I was in the drawing room doing my work, I saw a set of beautiful architectural drawings that came in and I was fascinated by the rendering on the front of it. And so I asked the lead draftsman at the time who was handling the, the set, hey, you know, who does these types of drawings? <laughs> and he said in a kind of dismissive way, oh, those are just the architects, you know, uh, th those guys dream and we, the engineers, make it a reality. And I looked at him instinctively right away and said, wow, if those guys are, are dreamers, then I want to dream. 
<laughs> and then there, uh, I knew what I wanted to do. I applied at the Caribbean School of Architecture, and I was fortunate enough to be one of those accepted. Wow, wow, wow. What an interesting, that's so true. We are dreamers as architects and designers. So what would you say your passion is for the profession? Well, you know, architecture is about people. And um, I believe without people, there'll be no need for architecture. Uh, we design for people. We talk to people to see what they would like to see and then we incorporate it. We design to aspire uh, to greater things and to inspire people. So my passion is really about people first and foremost, uh, about people um, uh, 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 getting to be their better selves. And architecture helps in that purpose, so yeah. Wow, and honestly, I would say that um, just your thoughtfulness on always thinking about people and how people can be the better versions of themselves, I honestly think that that's one of the um, attributes that make you such a great mentor and a great leader. Um, so I want to ask, why do you, why did you position yourself or why do you position yourselves in roles that, you know, you can't, you're a leader? Well, you know, um, from, from my earlier days, uh, growing up in Jamaica, um, I, I became involved in the Jamaica Combined Cadet Force. And there, uh, you are nurtured into being um, leaders, you know. Um, the cadet force is the equivalent to the arts and together as brothers um, at my old school, high school, Calabar High School. Um, and we were really a fraternity of brothers. We for each other. We were really, and I was kind of thrust into leadership at a very early, early age um, when the leaders of the organization of the school uh, pretty much uh, graduated and there was a vacuum left in leadership. And from ninth grade, I was then thrust into leadership to be in charge of, uh, at that time, about 33 um, students in the cadet unit there. And then from there, you know, it, it became something that uh, I didn't necessarily position myself in leadership. Um, if, if I see that there is a need for something to be done, then who else is better to do it? Who else is better to show the example? Who else is better to do it than you? Uh, um, so uh, my, you know, leadership, if you want to call it that, really is about getting things done and trying to be actively participating in the betterment of um, whatever organization or, or, or group that I'm a part of. And of course, um, I don't do any of this alone. I surround myself with great people. That is the secret of leadership. Uh, <laughs> surround yourself with excellent people, with excellent ideas, and listen. Shut up and listen for the most part. And to um, implement the good ideas that are generated around you. And so in, in every single organization that I'm a part of, I respect those who are, uh, help to make up that organization and I listen 
and I give everybody their dues, you know, and, and that's extremely important. Uh, if I am successful at all, it is because I, I surround myself with successful people. Wow, that's really beautiful. Um, so let's get started with our topic. So as you know, as everyone knows, our topic for today is friends, let's talk. And I myself, I'm really intrigued as well to know why um, Craig went ahead to choose this topic and this building. So can you please tell us, you know, your thought process in choosing the topic? Well, I think um, uh, there's no secret that uh, this nation, uh, the United States, is really in uh, a very precarious position, let's put it that way. Um, we are again at a position where a lot of the um, problems and issues of race, ethnicity, and um, uh, really the lack of leadership in a lot of instances is coming to fore. Um, we, we see people who are being killed as if it's hunting season on black men and women throughout the United States, you know. And that's not new, it's been happening for 400. Um, yet we, you know, some of us will want to pretend as if, oh, you know, what you're seeing is not really happening and that you're exaggerating on the importance of recognizing our issues and then dealing with those issues. It takes leadership, it takes, takes understanding for us to move forward. And I think if we don't talk about these issues, if we don't share our thoughts and our feelings with our friends and family members, then it goes um, on without being addressed and it festers. And then it eventually break out on the surface and uh, you know you have no choice but now to act. So I think talking is important. Action is even more important, but it begins with talking and getting things out there uh, for us to deal with them, you know. So yeah. that's the topic that we need to talk a little bit more. It's, it's difficult, you know, don't get me wrong. It's not a very easy thing to talk about, but it should be. If you're not perpetuating racism, yeah, yeah. Talk about it. If if you mean me well, if I mean you well, why can't we talk about it? Because our intent is good. So if we don't talk about it, it means we have something to hide. If we don't talk about it, we have something to be ashamed of. And even if we do have something to be ashamed of, uh, we need to first talk about it and get it out there and then we see what are we going to do about it and so not just leave it at talk but put some action behind that as well so i'm a big uh, proponent for that kind of uh, resolution you know and the building that we select uh, uh, today i think address some of those issues in a representational way okay okay I, well first of all i completely um, I agree with you that we do need to, you know, there are issues that have been here for a long time. And this is something that we constantly need to talk about it so we can, you know, propel and push people to act on it, you know, because right now we're holding everybody accountable. And it's time for us to just start taking action and tackling these issues. 
So tell us, can you tell us a bit about this building and you know what you like most about it? And we can start sketching as well. All right, so the building that I selected uh, to sketch during this discussion is the Cathedral of um, Brasilia. Um, uh, and, and this was designed by Oscar Niemeyer, uh, one of the greatest architects of our time. Um, he just recently passed away um, in Brazil and he was honored as one of our greatest minds in the architectural profession. Um, this building is extremely elegant. Um, it, I think, represents um, uh, coming together, unity, to create something beautiful. It is very functional and it represents the aspiration of a people. And I think it represents all of those things very well. And as a result, I thought, you know, uh, this should be also a very relatively easy building to sketch. <laughs> but it does all of that and more. So, uh, yeah, I like this building. Oh, so do you have any, like, sketching tips for this particular building? Oh, well, I think in, in everything that you're sketching, you need to choose a focal point. You need to choose something that you'd like to highlight and then... Hello? Hello? I think he got cut off. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. I can be very stable. Um, uh, I'm not too sure where I left off, but uh, just to say that you want to choose something you'd like to focus on, mm -hmm. concentrate on that, and then everything else become, um, you know, um, subservient to that focus. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So right now I'm actually focusing on like the mid, I'm starting from the middle, from the center. Yeah. And going outward. So I'm going to see how that comes out. Okay, so as we're all sketching, <laughs> right, <clears throat> I wanted to talk more. But, but, but uh -huh. wait a minute, before you sketch, what exactly are we sketching? Because there are several different images of this building that you can sketch. So, uh, okay, do you see my screen? Can you see my screen? Uh, I can see your video. Um, let's see. Let me see what else I can see. Oh, yes. All right, there it is. Yes. I wasn't seeing that all this time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, very good. Yes, all right. I can see it right now. Yeah. All right, so I should be sketching while we're talking, yes? Yes. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Okay. And I'm getting on an age a little bit here, so put my glasses on when I'm doing something near. No problem. So as we're sketching this, um, you had mentioned earlier about, you know, us taking action as we're talking about the problems that are happening in the profession. 
And, you know, I myself, as a young professional that's really just getting started in, the, in my career, I was wondering how, how would you say that emerging professionals and young professionals can start to facilitate the growth of minority, minority architects in the profession? It's a good question. Um, uh, a lot of people know this, but some don't. And so I'll say it that black participation in the architecture industry is woefully lacking. Mm. Um, we have, depending on where you get your data, we have about 100,000, uh, some say 113,000, and recently I've read 97,000. But even if let's say it's a 100,000 uh, architects in the United States itself, we have less than 3,000. At my last check, it was 2,676 or something like that, who identify themselves as black architects. So as you can see, we're just under 3% um, of the population of architects. Yeah. Less than one in three, sorry, less than one in 33 architects are black. in architecture and 13% in the population. Uh, this is a very anemic representation of uh, Blacks in the United States and Blacks performing in architecture. And if you think that number is terrible, then you will definitely have a problem with the next number I'll throw out there, which is there's actually less than 500 black females um, who are registered architects in the profession. Less wow. than 500. Um, that is a massive problem because we know that the importance of um, black Americans in our culture, the importance of black Americans in music, mm -hmm. in theater, mm -hmm. in intellectually, um, you know, in terms of being authors, in terms of dance, you know, all of that, um, you know, uh, Black Americans contribute significantly to the culture that is recognized and revered around the world called the culture of the United States. Um, so if we don't have enough representation of Black talent within architecture, it tells me that the profession may very well be missing out on the creativity that Black people brings to various organizations that they are part of. Various industries that are successful throughout the United States have a significant contribution from its Black citizens. And uh, so are we missing out on something significant in architecture because we don't have um, enough representation? Now, having said that, there are some great black architects who have contributed over the years and they've done an excellent job but what else could we have been benefiting from you know the same thing is right back to this idea of um you know uh, racism you know and the what it, it has denied this country over the years yeah. because 
segregation, Jim Crow, enslavement because of, you know, redlining, all these things that the country has put in place to um, deprive its black citizens of, it has in effect deprived itself of. And as a result, I think we are not as great as we could have been if we had allowed for the creativity and the talent of our citizens to flow naturally, you know? Yeah. So uh, as emerging professionals, um, uh, black emerging professionals in particular, you need to realize your importance. You need to realize that you have a a, a, a contribution that is necessary to the development of the profession for the betterment of the profession. Mm -hmm. We must also realize too that we have a responsibility, whether we want that responsibility or not, to encourage others from our community to know more about architecture and to participate as architects because it helps us to develop our community it gives us a seat around the table and it, it contributes um, not only to the country being better, but our community being better and our family being better and we ourselves as people uh, to be better. You know? Definitely, definitely. I completely agree. So um, when you talk about, you touched on community development and, um, you know, I was just, I just wanted to find out how do you think we can um, better design our communities to be more inclusive? How to design our communities to be more inclusive? Well, I, I, I think you can look in the United States and be able to identify a community that is, we call it underserved. Mm -hmm. uh, I just um, completed a book that I got a, a better name for that is really the oppressed communities that are oppressed. I think if we call them that, then those in authority would pay more attention to them. Uh, we're not underserved, we're not underdeveloped. Our communities are deliberately oppressed by those who are in charge, by being ignored, you know? Yeah. For instance, uh, not all of our schools are equal. Our school, the funding for our schools are based on taxes from our community. And that again does not help us very well because our communities are usually not as affluent as other communities. And as a result, the money being assigned to the improvement of our schools are lacking. Um, uh, and so the places where you would want to invest more to get better results is actually being divested. Uh, you know, uh, you're not really getting enough input of resources coming into those communities. And as a result, um, our children uh, are disadvantaged as a result. So how do we design communities that are better? I think firstly, we should start with our schools. Um, then we should start with housing and um, well, 
places that will help to um, inspire confidence and uh, a sense of pride. You know, yeah, in our yeah. communities, we have more churches than anywhere else. And there's a reason for that. It's because I think our people were trying to find something to... Um, like hope. Good, yeah. <laughs> we were trying to find hope, yeah. And, 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 and faith does that for us, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but, but there's also need for uh, better libraries and uh, better places for us to go and um, learn, you know. Yeah. Um, school programs and so forth becomes extremely important because while parents are working two and three jobs to keep a roof over their children's head, um, you know, we need to find places where children can pour their energy into, you know, um, in terms of, uh, there's one thing that our leaders tend to invest a lot of money in, in our community, and that is in the police stations, you know, where yeah. and, um, uh, you know, police the community, and many times it's not in a good way, you know. Uh, I think it's important to have good police stations and good um, policemen in our community. We, we think there is a, a place for the police. We, we believe that um, good community policing is important, but um, get rid of the tanks and the, the, the cannons and the uh, machine guns and, 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 you know, these kind of negative things of oppressing the community. And instead, you know, do what the defunding of the police slogan is all about. It's about putting the money where it is needed, not in the hands of people with guns who are going to shoot down our people, uh, put it in places where they can effectively respond to the needs of the community, whether it is um, through proper health care, psychological health care, um, whether it is to um, uh, uh, create uh, jobs and employment, whether it is to uh, make our parks a better place for children to feel safe in, you know. And, and keeping our streets clean and uh, uh, keeping our general environment and community um, nice and bright and welcoming in landscaping and so forth to make us be happy when we're heading home. We're heading home to a place where we want to be and we're not heading home to a ghetto or some, some type of place where we're saying, I want to get out of here. Yeah. Home somewhere where we want to stay, we want to build, we want to improve upon. And unfortunately, uh, many of our oppressed neighborhoods or oppressed communities need to break off that shackle that we currently have, um, keeping us down and keeping us back. And so when we go to vote, when we go to make our voices heard, we must keep that in mind. Who of our representatives would want our communities to be um, move away from this 
um, you know, oppressed state that it is, it is in. And for far too long, it has been that way. I mean, we're talking about decades upon top of decades, we're calling our communities underserved or underdeveloped, as if it is something to be proud of, you know? Yeah. If I was um, the com you know, commissioner of a neighborhood that is considered to be underdeveloped and oppressed and underserved, I'd be ashamed to show my face in those communities. And I've been a commissioner for many years. Ridiculous. Yeah. In our community that calls themselves leaders. And I would want to question that, you know? How can you be a leader of a community that has been oppressed and underserved and underdeveloped for decades? And then you want the vote of those people? It's crazy what we allow these leaders to get away with. Anyway, I, I what the question was. <laughs> well, that's fine because I completely agree because I think, and the more people, you know, decide not to vote or the more people decide to remain without an opinion, just to stand like in the middle ground to reduce conflict. I think that also, you know, um, puts flame, like that increases the negativity that keeps spreading and it reduces because it once people remain silent then nothing is going to be done about it so i think this is really a chance for everyone to step up and really you know claim and speak on what they really truly believe in to reduce our communities being oppressed and underserved yeah. and um so speaking on children because we started talking you know on children and on the youth I want to talk a bit about, because I know we've had this discussion in our NOMA meetings and talking about how we need to go into communities to tell um, the youth about architecture, because a lot of times the kids just don't know the profession even exists, right? Because they're not given that opportunity. And I know that you started the BAM, which is the Black Architect in the Making in 2016. Can you tell us why on your goal with the BAM, what you hope to achieve? Or what you are achieving because it, it's yeah. a subject already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, just to give you a little background on that, the, the Black Architects in the Making program, or BAM as we affectionately call it, um, it, it, it comes out of a program from the, um, the American Institute of Architects Miami chapter, AIA Miami, um, that has a program called architects in the making. And that program has been about now for 13, going on 14 years. Um, we have some great leaders in that program. Um, you know, Umberto Ramos leads the program right now and I co-chair that program with him, uh, along with some other young uh, leaders that are really uh, showing great potential, you know. Uh, great volunteers. Um, but I realized after um, co-chairing that program that there were not a lot of black students that were present at the summer camp, which is held at the University of Miami School of Architecture. And so after the first year of co-chairing that and seeing that issue, um, we decided that we need to do something about encouraging more black students to know about architecture. Hence the creation of the Black Architects in the Making program. 
and that program is co-chaired by Naomi Harrison. And uh, uh, it is really a, a program out of the Miami Center of Architecture and Design. I'm calling a lot of names here. It's important yes. <laughs> everybody involved because it, it comes back to this idea of unity and everybody coming together to unite, to create something that is beautiful, like the structure that we're drawing here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, these columns coming together and all you know, the canopy coming together to form something that is beautiful. Um, so is the BAM program. Um, so we really um, go into uh, oppressed communities where children are somehow not getting the message about architecture and what architecture is, who is an architect, and why is it important to um, become yeah, right. an architect, you know? And so we, we send people into these communities, black architects in particular, to talk mm -hmm. to students about architecture. And we have found over the years that 90% um, of the students that we interact with, they have never heard about the profession before. Wow. And even though, you know, as people, we, we live in a house, we go to a school, um, our parents go to an office building, or we go to the restaurant, we go to the mall, we go to church, mosques, uh, synagogues, and so forth. We somehow take architecture for granted because it's there, you know. It's like our streets, you know, it's just there. We don't understand that somebody actually thought about the space that we're occupying and that it is important because these people who design these spaces can help to influence how you think. You know, the planners that design your community have a significant impact on how you view society. The building of a structure is extremely important. And so that's what we do. You know, we go into these communities, we go into schools, after school programs, we go to churches, we go to anywhere that will have us. And we spend time uh, presenting to these students what architecture is in a very fun and creative way. Uh, one of the things that we do in our first interaction is to design and build paper towers where we give students, you know, 12 sheets of legal sized paper. We buy um, uh, tape from the dollar store and we teach them about uh, rolling paper or folding paper to make something structurally worthy, to make towers. And then we would show them some examples of other students who have done the very same thing. So the paper is kind of like, you know, this is my budget, the paper and tape and then they get 20 minutes to build the tower. Uh, and they also have to look at that as schedule, you know. And then there is, of course, the testing. We do testing like, you know, we put a weight on top of the tower <laughs> to structurally sound or, you know, I, I we go around and we shake the tables as if we're inducing a earthquake to see which tower will actually stand. And of course, we measure the height of the towers to see whose tower was actually the tallest. And it creates a lot of raucous and fun. And the children really enjoy that. And we enjoy it too as professionals because every single group, you know, it, uh, is, is different. 
and we enjoy how the students interact. You know, there are sometimes students are forced to go and sit in a class <laughs> to learn about what is architecture, and we can see when they get in, uh, they, you know, they don't necessarily want to be here, but they're here because they're told to be here. And then when we're finished, they're like, hey, when is the next time that you guys can come back? You know, let's have some more of this fun. Uh, so we do that and we really enjoy it. And we have reached an excess of 500 students. I think we're over 600 by now. We keep saying 500, but we're <laughs> saying that now for about a year. I'm sure we're over 600. And the more that we talk to these students and open their minds to the possibility of a career in architecture, is the more we can see that little light turn on, on their, in their brains, you know, to say, hey, look, never thought about this, but uh, this is definitely a possibility. And we have now students who are um, in the design and senior high school, um, DASH. Mm -hmm. uh, we have students who are at Miami-Dade College doing architecture. And we have students who are in middle and high school or home, being homeschooled who are thinking about architecture when before they weren't thinking about it. So not only that, but the program has expanded. Um, one of the volunteers who, while attending FIU as a student of architecture, he would volunteer to help us in the program. And he relocated, well, should I say, he returned to Orlando where he lived and he started a BAM Orlando. So, and, and that's going really strong, very, very active, very, he has created a team again around him of very smart, very creative, very dedicated professionals that has started BAM Orlando there and it's going very well. We're in conversation with um, professionals in Tallahassee, uh, Donald over there to start a BAM Tallahassee. We're in conversation with Adam and Mark in Gainesville to start a BAM Gainesville. And of course, um, we're in conversation with um, uh, uh, Daphne over in Tampa to start a BAM Tampa. Uh, and of course, there's Jacksonville and so forth. You know, there are many other cities who would like to start a program. And we encourage that because all you're doing really is telling students about your passion and how you think that this is a great profession for them to really contribute to their community and their family and the country. And they are really excited about every single one of our workshops that we go to. The BAM program offers mentorship as well. You know, not just going in and talking about architecture as a career, but how do you then mentor people who would like to do more? Um, we have mentorship for college students. Um, uh, we, we currently mentor college students who have um, young professionals, people who have just started in the, in the profession, um, how do you guide those people to take the exams and to stay with it when it gets rough, you know, <laughs> when you're being um, uh, challenged uh, and when you feel discouraged or frustrated, um, you know, where's that voice that will encourage you to say, look, I understand what you're going through. Um, I, I went through something similar. And I can tell you, though, that uh, if you stay with it, that you will not regret it, you know. And uh, uh, that, that kind of encouragement goes a long way. Sometimes you feel alone simply because our numbers are so small. Yeah. Uh, 
you feel as if, hey, look, nobody understands what I'm going through. I'm the only black person in my firm, you know? And all around me, I'm seeing black people being killed. And, and, and um, I, am, I don't feel safe when I leave out of my home or when I leave out of the doors of the office. And I don't get the kind of empathy or understanding that is necessary for me to feel as if my opinion and my thoughts and my fears are accounted for, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, that's, that's BAM. Uh, and, and where we are, we offer scholarships, we offer internships, you know, and we do work with a lot of organizations. And, and if I did not, of course, mention my own firm, MC Harry, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be able to go back through the doors on Monday. <laughs> my own firm, but MC Harry has a group of really talented people. Um, it gives me and others within our firm the authority to take the time that is needed to organize a program like BAM. We spend hundreds of hours doing research or taking time off to go to a school or so forth to tell people about architecture. We don't, um, you know, claim this money through taxes or anything like that, although maybe we should. serious money that we have invested in the community and in architecture. Um, but this is something that we do because we love it and we see that there is a need for it and therefore we step up and we do it. But there are also other firms who have helped us. You know, um, Rodriguez Architects, are tremendous people who um, we just need to say, you know, hey guys, we, we need sponsorship and the checkbook is out, you know. And, and we don't have to tell them how much they give us, uh, you know, whatever it is that we need. Um, there are many, many other firms like that, uh, Sharon Williams, who step up all the time without us having to ask to say, hey, uh, the BAM program, NOMA, what do you guys need? We are here for you. You know, AIA Miami, uh, and through their leadership, you know, has always been there for us. Many, many organizations contribute to the program. And again, like the structure that we're sketching, it takes a community. It takes a lot of different people and organizations to build something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I think BAM is such a great program. And I remember my first time hearing about BAM, I think it was about three or four years ago when um, I was at the AIA Awards, one of the AIA Awards. And honestly, during that time in the profession, I was feeling, you know, lonely and lost. Like, oh my gosh, how can I keep going? Because the exams were, you know, I wasn't passing my exams at the time. I didn't really have that community of Black architects that I could, that could keep me motivated. And I remember sitting down and they presented BAM and you walked up to the stage and you started talking about BAM and I felt it was like this light bulb I felt so inspired by you know everything that you've created and just the community that you've been growing so I just want to say thank you you know from a black female in this profession I just want to say thank you for taking the lead to create this great great um, organization so I you know so that's that's it and you talk about being 
a partner at MC Harry Associates. I just want to know how, you know, how did you get there in your journey? What made you stick with MC Harry and Associates? Well, that's an interesting question there. And I'm glad you asked it because not many, not many interviewers ask that question. Um, uh, I'll back up a little bit. So, you know, I mentioned before, I'm really from Jamaica and it was never part of my plan to be in the United States. I've always respected the United States and I think it's, it was a great place, but I've always thought that I'd be, I'd be in the Caribbean. Um, I've never thought that I was limited to Jamaica, but I've always thought of myself as a Caribbean person. And I've been to most of the Caribbean islands and so forth, whether it's during school or after um, leaving school and so on. And I love the Caribbean, you know, the sketch behind me that you see there was not done by me, I should say that. <laughs> but it reminds me so much of the Caribbean. And uh, I love the architecture, I love the people, I love the culture. Better than that. But um, after working at a firm in Jamaica, Harold Morrison Associates, which is where I really cut my teeth in architecture and learned to um, appreciate what the profession was really about, learning from people like Robert Woodstock and Harold Morrison, Janet Thompson, people like those, helped to really shape my, my, my thoughts about architecture. Um, I, I, you know, you know, for, for, you know left that uh, firm, um, unfortunately, and the opportunity came for me to uh, go to the United States, to, to Miami, to help a firm um, that my understanding was they needed help with 3D. And I was very good at Archicad at the time. And so I said, you know what, let me, you know, let me go and see what they wanted. So I was working with APEC Jamaica and there was an APEC Miami. So I, I would get a project from um, APEC Miami and I thought it was gonna be about 3D. Uh, it didn't turn out to be about 3D, but uh, to cut the shots, a uh, long story short, what was one project ended up being uh, several dozen projects, like 70 odd projects. And uh, um, I was coming up and going down sometimes to, you know, to do some field verification and stuff like that. We're working primarily from Jamaica and being paid by my Jamaican firm, by the way. Um, but anyway, um, after a while, I realized that this was going to be a long-term thing. And I told my employer at the time, um, hey, look, uh, you know, I have a young family and uh, I can't be, you know, here and there. And so um, APEC Miami says, well, I'm going to, uh, we're going to apply for your work permit. And that's how I came up to the United States. And I thought, okay, fine, I'll spend three years in the United States, gain some experience from a developed country and come back to Jamaica and the Caribbean. And I'll then uh, practice what I learned from this developed nation. Yeah. Anyway, I brought my family up and, uh, you know, the opportunities that the United States provided was tremendous. My, my kids started school, they liked it. And uh, next thing I know, there was a second work permit and then citizenship. So um, all of that happened with uh, pretty much APEC Miami and APEC Jamaica. Um, I must mention uh, John Martin and Richard Solomon from APEC uh, Miami who were um, 
you know, great bosses, you know, good friends. Um, leaving from Jamaica, I would be calling these guys, Mr. Solomon, Mr. Martin, and they would say, Craig, I'm John, you know, and I'll get used to a different type of culture, but it gets me to start uh, uh, feeling a part of um, John Martin uh, spent 16 years in Jamaica. And so he had tremendous stories to tell about Jamaica. And we used to love hearing these stories, you know, uh, Jamaican politics and so forth and how he was involved um, in Jamaica at the time. But, but, but he gave me a feeling of um, I belong, yeah. you know, and I respected that. I really respected that about John. Then Apex Jamaica pretty much closed, you know, uh, Richard unfortunately passed away. And um, after a year or so, uh, John closed the firm. And just across the corridor from Apex Jamaica was um, MC Harry. Wow. So I actually left and I went to Jacksonville for a couple of months um, to, to, to a friend who had a firm in Jacksonville. And after finishing what I was doing there, I came back to Miami and uh, um, Jim Pearsall, one of the principals at the time, um, heard that I was back and he needed somebody to be out in the field. At that time, I really, I was thinking at the time to go into construction instead of staying into architecture. And uh, um, he offered me the opportunity to work on site to be a field representative for um, one of the projects that we were doing at the time. And I thought that was excellent. It was doing both things that I wanted to do. Architecture in the sense that I was still um, part of an architecture firm. And I'm out in the field uh, doing construction, you know, coordinating with contractors and working with contractors to solve problems. And so I loved it. I spent three years out in the field building um, three, uh, you know, uh, elementary schools for Miami-Dade County Public Schools, uh, working with a great team of people at MC Harry and a great team of people in the, in, on, on site. And after a while there, uh, when the projects were finished, and by the way, I worked with Miami-Dade College doing the North Campus Science Building as well, another wonderful experience with a great set of contractors there. Uh, when, when those work out in the field um, dried up, I moved back into the office and uh, started uh, doing what I was doing in, at APEC really, which is to work with um, higher education clients. And that was also pretty good. But all of that during that time, while I was a registered architect in Jamaica, I was not registered in the United States. Mm. And so, you know, after every five years or so, you know, I start itching for some type of academic rigor. And so I then decided to challenge myself and to do the AREs. And um, uh, short story, I did the AREs within a year, passed all, all of them. Um, uh, uh, don't worry, they were terribly hard. <laughs> I'll make it seem easy, but it was not easy at all. Yeah. Each time I would leave an exam, I'd feel as if I was T-boned by a truck. Oh, That's wow. how really hard they were. Yeah. That's how they are. That's how they are. I'm sure a lot of you guys listening can relate to that. They're <laughs> difficult. Um, no matter how hard you study, 
Um, let me tell you, the majority of the questions you're getting are not coming necessarily from the book. You have to know what you have studied and know what you're doing to pass those exams. And a lot of my attorney friends will say the bar is hard. I'd say try taking the architect, the ARE, you know, <laughs> the, those exams are terrible. They're hard. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, jumping through a lot of hoops because I was educated abroad at the Caribbean School of Architecture and not one of the um, NAAB accredited institutions here in the United States, I had to prove that my education was equivalent and, and eventually did that. A long story, I won't go through all of that. But anyway, after I became registered, um, you know, I, 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 I think leadership at MC Harry saw that, you know, uh, there was some potential in, 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 in this guy. Uh, to be honest with you, wherever it is that I work, I make sure that I treat that firm as if it is my own firm. Yeah. Whether it was Harold Morrison in Jamaica, APEC uh, Jamaica, APEC Miami, uh, or MC Harry, I did what I would want any employee to do if I was the owner of that firm. So I, I, I came in on time. I did my work, I did work to the best of my ability, and I treated it as if it was my own firm. And, and I think um, Jim and Tom and other leadership within the firm saw that, you know. And so they, they offered me ownership of the firm. You know, Jim and Tom were getting ready to retire and they had in place a system of ownership transition, which many firms don't have, unfortunately but they tend to look within at leadership within and choose leadership from within the organization who understand our culture and how we uh, do our work. So um, Javier Torres at the time was um, offered partnership first, then Lourdes Solera was then offered partnership. And then to my surprise, they also offered me ownership in the firm uh, a, a couple of years or so after uh, Lourdes, and uh, I was deeply honored uh, for that. You know, Jim and Tom are great leaders. You know, they demonstrate what it is like to um, uh, be in the trenches with their employees. Um, they give us the tools that we need as employees and staff to succeed and they show confidence in our leadership, in our abilities to take a project and to run with that project from very, the very start all the way to the very end. Um, I've always respected that about those two gentlemen and they showed the confidence in me and Lourdes and, and, and Javier by offering us ownership, which I'm very grateful for. MC Harry as a over 60 year legacy of providing excellent architecture. And to be offered ownership in, with such background is, you know, something I would have never expected. And uh, they did that. Wow. Um, so, you know, uh, and they still continue to be a valuable resource for us. You know, I've been a principal now for what, going on seven years. And um, 
uh, I can pick up the phone and call any of those gentlemen and they're there for us if we need any type of advice or consultation or so forth, you know. Um, uh, they're part of the family and I think they will be until, uh, the, you know, uh, they, they're just not able to anymore, but <laughs> great people. That's how I became a principal because we had leadership at MC Harry that was able to um, offer opportunities to their staff uh, because uh, they were such great leaders. They created leaders. Um, we have something at MC Harry that we say, we're training our replacement. We mean that. Um, if, if we train the people who are you know, part of our project team to lead, then they will lead and we'll have more project managers, we'll have better projects, more um, uh, uh, satisfied clients and so forth. So it's part of our culture, it's part of who we are. And Lourdes and I, who, who are the two principals of the firm, now Javier went to North Carolina and is uh, doing great things in North Carolina. Um, but Lourdes and I are now the two partners of MC Harry and we continue the greatness that uh, Milton Carlisle Harris started over 60 years ago and uh, Jim and Tom uh, continued, Lourdes and I are now doing and we're always looking within our ranks for leadership who we can then tap to invite to become owners so they too can carry on the legacy that is MC Harry. Wow. That's, that's a very inspiring story. And I think that really shows, you know, what hard work and determination can do. And especially how, you know, being a leader can really inspire other people to take the role and step up and be leaders themselves. So before, because I see that we are, we've come to our hour. But before I start taking questions, I want to ask you, what have been your two biggest career influences? I'm not going to be able to finish my sketch here. Uh, <laughs> my two biggest career influences. What do you mean? Expound on that while I sketch here. What do you mean? <laughs> Okay, well, um, I mean, what are the two, it, it could be people or, you know, two things that have really inspired or two people that have really inspired and driven your career have, have really like propelled you forward. I know you've mentioned a couple names already of people that really set a good foundation for your learning and your growth. But what are, I guess, two people or, yeah, that have really been the foundation, have been a big, big foundation? <laughs> See, there are so many people who have really um, blessed me over the years. Um, uh, I, I don't think I can just mention two. Um, uh, I do know that I've had some great friends over the years. Um, you know, uh, tremendous characters that have helped to mold, I think, who, who I ended up being. Um, from being... Um, around parents that sacrificed for us as children. You know, I'm from a relatively large family, seven of us in our family, seven children. Um, my father worked hard every single day um, for us. My mother endured a whole lot and uh, she's still with us and she's a tremendous inspiration for the entire family because she 
she put up with a lot uh, to keep us together. And uh, my parents um, instilled in us the importance of education. Uh, all of my siblings are now successful um, adults in their own right, doing great things. And all of that came through a mother with a third grade education, you know, great, great lady. So she's a tremendous influence on me. Um, we used to attend three churches each Sunday, each weekend, actually, oh, we wow. church, we attend uh, <laughs> two churches on Sunday and so forth, participated in the youth activities and all of that there. Um, so, you know, religion and Christianity played an important role, uh, molding me and the example of Christ himself, not man, because we have seen a lot of man being just man and failing, but Christ and what Christ meant uh, to us uh, and the life that Christ led is extremely important in who I am today. Uh, and then growing up in school, you know, the friends that I came across, friends who would go to, to war literally with you, um, you know, great people, Joseph French, Robert Chin, um, Carlton Williams, Doug, all those guys are important. Uh, molding factors in who I am today. Um, then when it came on to uh, uh, to working directly after high school, um, you know, there was Carlton Hay, an engineer who was really very um, influential in, in, in directing me to be confident in whatever it is that I pursue as a career. You know, David Chung, those guys are great people. Um, and then in school itself, you know, uh, uh, growing up with uh, people like, you know, Sean Jones and um, Richard Pickard and Gregory Barr, those guys who, again, would go to war with you um, uh, are just great influences. And then, you know, uh, my wife, Patricia Carr, has... Um, endured a lot with me and is still enduring a lot with me. <laughs> uh, she has um, been very important um, to me and who I am today. And my kids, of course. Uh, uh, then there is John Martin and Richard Solomon and then there is Jim Pearsall and Tom Carlson. So, you know, no no man is an island, you know, no man stands alone, each man's joy is joy to me, and each man's grief is my own. Uh, I, I was influenced by many people, and continue to be influenced by people today, you know. Um, uh, uh, all of these guys, you know, Lourdes, Daphne, Cheryl, uh, all of these guys that are around me right now are important, and they form part of the support system that makes me who I am, Naomi Harrison, um, very important, right-hand person, there with me, um, through thick and thin, fighting uh, the battle of promoting architecture to make it more um, inclusive, more diverse. Uh, these are people that come and go in your life, you know, but you never forget them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Wow, thank you. <laughs> it's, you know, it's such an important reminder that we are not an island. 
Like we need, we need people. No man is an island on his own. So, right. so I want to take two questions. I see we have two questions. And the first one is, do you think the communities that are underserved should take it upon themselves to revitalize their neighborhoods or should the government and those in power actively seek to improve the neighborhoods in their place? Interesting question. Um, look, uh, again, like the structure that we're drawing, it takes more than just one entity to make a difference. Everybody has to contribute. Everybody has to uh, play their role and their part. You know, the community can't expect to um, build a school on their own. The government has to step in. They're paying taxes for a reason. Um, but we as people need to insist on what we want. Uh, you know, we're, we're not begging anybody to be free. We're not begging anybody to love me. You know? We're saying we are who we are and we are demanding respect and we're demanding what is rightfully ours. We're demanding um, uh, justice for our people. We're demanding that our children be given a good education and we're participating in that by voting and putting people in who will do these things when they're elected. And we must hold these people accountable. Uh, accountable for what they say they're going to do. And if they don't do it, then we vote them out and we put somebody else in there who will do it. And, and we're, we must be serious and purposeful about that. Um, action speaks louder than word. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you can promise that you're going to do a particular thing. If you don't do it, uh, you must answer to that. You know, so, so yes, we as people, we must... Um, uh, sharing that res responsibility of making our community what we want it to be, right? But it, it takes more than just us, you know? Um, we have to rely on the systems that are in place. And if the system don't work, then we put systems in place that will work. But ultimately it comes down to us and the actions that we take as a people. What do we insist on? You know, how do I hold myself accountable? You know, am I working as hard as I should work uh, to make certain things a reality? Am I encouraging my children to do the right thing, to do their homework and to be diligent so that they can, um, you know, make an impact when it is time for them to make an impact, so forth, you know? Uh, and am I holding my friends also accountable for that kind of development and the kind of excellence that we're looking for? So to answer the question, yeah, you know, we should, we are ultimately responsible for our communities, but uh, don't fool yourself, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a collaborative um, situation and uh, we, we must play our part and take our role seriously. Wow, great answer. So the second question, which I think you, you already touched on it as the conversation progressed, but it is, do these programs have a reach in, in the communities that are underdeveloped, or do you have to reach out yourself to get the community interest? Hmm. 
Well, that's a good question. Um, when the AIM program, uh, you know, was happening for a decade, and uh, uh, we realized that still we did not have enough black representation coming into the summer program. It was not because the word about the summer camp wasn't out there. It was out there. It was publicized to everybody on the same channels for everybody to, to, to learn about the program. But for some reason, the word was not getting into the community itself. And we realized that this deficit was uh, there. And instead of just saying, okay, oh, well, what do we do? Um, instead, we said, you know, we are going to go into the community, into these communities, you know, like the extremities of your fingers, you know, all the blood needs to get to the end of your fingertips or they'll fall off. Uh, we decide that, hey, as black architects, we're going to go into black communities and we're going to tell students about architecture, not just go there and just throw the information down and say, take it or leave it. But we go in there with an attitude of, hey, look, um, we believe that we are among, um, the, we're in the presence of future greatness. Mm -hmm. There's some doctors and attorneys and some teachers and some policemen and some architects and engineers are here. And we want for you guys to know about that. And by going into these communities, the blood started flowing into these communities where they now started attending the summer camp, the AIM summer camp. Uh, on last count, we had over 18 um, uh, uh, black students who attended our AIM summer camp. And uh, it started out with probably only about three or so, uh, three, four years ago. So um, we need to do our part as community architects, as citizen architects, to reach and to solve problems that we see. We're problem solvers, right? So. If we see a problem in our community, we need to act and, 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 and get it done. Wow. I, I completely agree. So I don't, I don't think we have any more questions. No, we do not. We don't have any more questions. But it seems like we've reached the end of our episode. So I just want to say... First of all, thank you so much, Craig, for joining us today. I really enjoyed having this conversation with you and you touched on a lot of important points as well as gave us so much great advice and also gave us you know, a lot of things to go back and think about on how we can become more active to increase the representation in the architecture profession and just in general. So our next live episode is in two weeks and it's September 27th, it's going to be another amazing episode with a female designer and she's going to be sharing her knowledge and you know how she started up her her business so i'm really excited as well for that episode so you know if you want to know more about this episode you can go onto layersofdesign.online to subscribe and you'll know before we announce it to everyone on instagram and but yeah, so thank you again, everyone, for joining. Thank you so, so much, Craig. It was an honor and a pleasure to have you on here. And I can't wait to see your sketch. <laughs> well, I just rushed to finish up here because I saw that I was running out of time. But thank you so much for having me. I certainly enjoyed being here um, on the program. And 
this is my sketch line. Can I go in a book? Let, let me turn off my background so that you can see this better. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I do have a little sketchbook like most architects and in that sketchbook as I encourage my students, hey, make sure that you're sketching and that you're doing all different types of things, you're doodling, and if they're watching, they can see that I'm not only talking the talk, but I am actually walking the walk, lots of different sketches and so forth as I go about talking with clients and staff members and so forth, so. Wow. Well, I also have to rush my sketch, but that is, oh, let me turn off. Oh, I have to turn off my background as well. Uh, okay. So this is my sketch over here. <laughs> it was a really right. nice, nice, very nice. But yeah. Well, <laughs> Thank you so much again, Craig, for joining us. It's been Thank you so much. And I must say that um, this program is really very good. I love it. I love the concept behind it. Sketching and talking is what we do. And um, I, 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 I'm surprised an know, hour know has passed so quickly. I know. <laughs> you know, we're having a good conversation. So thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for those who join us in the conversation as well. We appreciate your presence. Yeah. Uh, have a great day. I look forward to seeing you at NOMA. Yes, right? <laughs> I hope everyone, you know, joins NOMA after this. <laughs> Absolutely. So Florida NOMA, check us out. Yes. So Flow NOMA on Instagram. We're very active and it's a great group of people. So. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. Have a great Sunday. Thank you.